Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 720. Well, you know, people ask me, how do you become successful at anything that you do? And um, I always have the three Ds, which are dedication, determination, and discipline. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I am revved up and so excited to introduce today's very special guest, Calvin Fish. Hey, Calvin, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? I'm ready to go, mate. All right. Calvin Fish is the founder of Speedmates Drivers Management. There he serves as a guide, a mentor, and manager for some of the brightest young talents in motorsports today. At Speedmates, Calvin is leveraging his 40 years in the industry to establish an elite pool of professional drivers, providing them with professional development advice, team and manufacturer negotiations, plus marketing and public relations consulting. Calvin enjoyed 22 years behind the wheel racing around the world, and then as a motorsports commentator, on NBC, CBS, ESPN, and now Fox Sports, where he's the lead commentator for IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship and the Pirelli World Challenge. He is one busy guy. You are one busy guy, Calvin, and I'm so excited to have you here. I've told our listeners just a tiny bit about you. Would you take a brief moment to share a little bit more about your career, your business, and of course, your passion for automobiles? Absolutely, Mark. Great to be with you here today. And uh, I think my passion with cars began when I was just a young kid over in the UK, my dad owned a used car dealership. Uh, when I was about six or seven years old is when he initiated that. So as I was up there around the garage, uh, as he was tinkering with the cars, and uh, he'd always have something special that he'd try and bring home each evening to uh, take me for a drive around uh, at the end of a long day. And uh, I think that's where my passion for cars and then ultimately for speed began. And at a very early age of uh, 13, uh, he initiated me with go-karting over in the UK. And unfortunately, my mom and dad split up and were divorced, and he was living in a different part of the country. So it was a great way for us to get together as a father and son on the weekends at the racetrack. He continued to race carts a little bit in the senior division and I was racing juniors. And uh, from that stage, I just got the bug and uh, racing's been part of my life ever since. Uh, certainly with uh, driving initially. Uh, I've now been just over 20 years with the Fox Sports Network, initially with Speed Vision, then the Speed Network, then Fox Sports as it is now, and I uh, continue to do that. And alongside of that, in parallel with that, I've now established this small driver management business, which has been very uh, rewarding um, to try and utilize some of the knowledge that I've gained over the years and decades in the industry to try and help some young, uh, talented drivers up through the ranks. Uh, sounds fantastic. Before we get into the questions, tell our listeners a little bit about the racing career you had, the kind of cars you drive, the events you drove in. Yeah, well, as I said, I started in Europe, was racing carts for a while, and then in the uh, late 70s, uh, started to race Formula Ford, Formula Ford 2000. Had the fortune or misfortune, and depending on how you want to look at, to compete against the late great Edson Senna. Uh, the multiple world champion uh, in the junior ranks at the time. Uh, he was another very fast South American. No one really knew how great he would become, but uh, we went head-to-head for a couple of years. Uh, he won both the British and European championships in 1982, and I was runner-up. And uh, the following year, we competed in the British Formula 3 championship, which he won and then went on to do great things in Formula 1. And that was kind of the, the stumbling block in the road for me in terms of my career in Europe. 
And uh, shortly thereafter, I made the transition to the United States to try and continue my career, which I did uh, for about 10 years. And um, really, I made the move, made the decision one night. The following week, I was on a plane to the U.S. and I've never moved back. So it was a very uh, big move for me, certainly one that my mother struggled with to to lose a relatively young son to a different continent. But uh, she's certainly been very supportive and uh, the USA has been very kind to me and my family now. Boy, if you've got to compete against anybody to become a good racer, Ayrton Senna has to be the guy to do it. Oh, my gosh. That must have been absolutely fantastic. He was somebody that I followed and, of course, admired. And uh, even I have one of his quotes on my business card. So uh, that's how much I liked uh, watching Ayrton in the days when he was racing. Well, as we continue on your journey, I always like to start with a success quote. This is some kind of saying or mantra that's been important to you along the way. It's a nice way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars, yeah? I know you love to drive, so Calvin, take the wheel. Well, you know, people ask me, how do you become successful at anything that you do? And um, I always have the three Ds, which are dedication, determination, and discipline. And I think even if you sometimes don't have the raw talent, I mean, certainly if I relate it to competing against Ayaton, he was just a naturally gifted driver. Um, I felt that I could compete heads up with him on certain days by applying all of those three things uh, to my game and uh, on occasion was able to beat him. And uh, I've tried to really use the same three words and kind of approach to life uh, with all of my business in terms of the TV and the uh, broadcasting, in terms of never really mailing it in. I always do your homework. I always be prepared and uh, be very determined in making sure that you uh, don't fail, that you succeed and you represent people in the right way. So I think if any young driver who's asking me to, you know, how do I get better at what I'm doing, I think if you apply those three things to your uh, your life, you should come out on top if you've got the right ingredients there. Awesome three Ds that you shared with us there. I think those are great. And your, your good pal and mate, Lee Diffie, uh, who was a, a guest on the show here, said very similar things when he was on the show. And your comments remind me, my, remind me of my father. He used to say, you know, if you're not as sharp as the guy in the room, you can always outwork him. Mm-hmm. And I remember he always used to say with my first job out of college, get to work before the boss and stay until after the boss leaves. And uh, just show that you're a hard worker and you're very disciplined, part of one of your Ds there for sure. Nice way to go through life. It's obviously served you very, very well with all your successes. Let's go back in time and have a little bit of fun here. I'd love for you to share a story that instigated your passion for cars. Is is there a pivotal moment when you look back when you really realized that you were going to be a car guy, you were going to be racing, you are going to have a life around automobiles? Well, with the uh, education system in the UK, slightly different to the US, you essentially go to college at a very early age. I mean, that transition is made at 10, 11 years old when you take a 10 or 11 plus exam. So instead of just staying in the high school route, you immediately transition to a college, which then takes you on the route to potentially uh, being in university. So I went in that direction. I was fortunate enough to pass the exam and go over there and um, went through the initial five years. And then you do a two or three year program, advanced uh, levels, which then will take you and uh, transition you to university. And it was during that transition period that I recognized academically, 
I just wasn't as sharp as some of these other kids in the classroom, and I was really struggling to keep up. I feel just from my background, my dad being a car dealer, uh, our ancestry is even with gypsies uh, over in, in England and, and street merchants, and my grandfather was a scrap dealer, is that I had more street smarts than I did real, like, the brainiacs in the group, do you know what I mean? So I knew I was struggling. At the same time, I was racing, and I realized that was where my real passion was. And uh, but my father kept driving me to just try and do more academically. He, he kind of his goals were having me being an attorney or something like that. And uh, suddenly I just had an honest conversation with him one day about a year into these advanced levels. And I just said, Dad, I just can't hang with these guys and uh, I really want to go racing. And to my amazement, he agreed with me to let me essentially quit school at that stage and take racing on as a full time career. And I realized with that commitment that he made to me uh, that I had to give it a million percent and rather than just sort of like playing with the carding and stuff we were doing it at a very serious level but that was the goal now to really take that to the next level and become a professional race car driver which I was fortunate enough to do so I think that was really I think that moment in the kitchen that morning when dad said okay let's do it that was really a turning point in my life and um, it's allowed me to now stay in an industry so that I was about 17 right then, so I'm now 55. So that's, you know, 38 years ago we made that determination and um, I've been able to maintain a position in the industry in different roles for that period of time. So in terms of being in the game, it's certainly been very successful and uh, continue to work hard at the TV and now with the management a little bit on the side as well. Well, you're very fortunate to have a father that recognized uh, the importance of that conversation because I've got friends whose parents pushed them down some academic road. They became very successful attorneys, doctors, whatever, but it wasn't their passion. And now they're kind of stuck in that career and waiting for a time that they can retire and then go do what they really want to do versus right. doing what they want to do their whole life because you may not ever make it to retirement. So, yep. yeah, you're very, very fortunate to have a father that uh, listened very well and uh, helped and encouraged you, absolutely. Well, Calvin, what I want to do now is take a look at some of the roads you've driven down and talk about a big challenge or even better, a big failure that you faced along the way in your career. Of course, the most important part of this is what did it teach you? So tell us how that experience helped you gain even more momentum in your career and your business. Well, I think, you know, as I mentioned, in 1984, there was that sort of stumbling block, you know, running against Senna, not winning in Formula 3, which the next step was to Formula 1 at the time. I was kind of left stranded a little bit, so made the move to the States, was fortunate enough to pick up the pieces. Uh, when I made the move to the States, it was not just behind the wheel of the first year coming over here. Uh, I was fortunate enough to be offered an opportunity with a gentleman who I raced against in carts, and he had a big business in Dallas, Texas. And he said, listen, if you want to come to America, I'll give you a job. I'll give you somewhere to stay. So I became a racing mechanic for a year, just trying to get back in the fold, make some contacts. And from that point, I was able to then reestablish myself racing-wise here in the States won the former Atlantic Championship, nearly won the Indy Lights Championship, and um, had some success in sports cars. But came to a very similar point in 1995 where two or three years leading up to that timeline, I was really just doing the big endurance races, the Daytona, Sebring 12 Hours, those type of events, which I, I'd won before, and I was fortunate enough to get those big rides for the big season openers with the, the Fords of the World, Lincoln Mercury with Mazda and uh, Oldsmobile and companies like that, racing teams. But at the end of that year, it was like this really wasn't going anywhere. And I really had to look hard in the mirror and say, OK, I'm only 34 years old. There's a lot of drivers who race till they're 50 and beyond. 
but I was at a bit of a crisis point in terms of supporting myself. Um, I really wasn't able to generate the type of revenue stream solely from driving that was necessary to support myself and, uh, and uh, my wife at the time. So I just had to uh, look at other opportunities in the industry. Um, I started to do a lot of ride and drive uh, business, uh, which is where you're essentially uh, demonstrating new car products to uh, salespeople. You'd go into these cities and uh, do these ride and drive programs where the salespeople would come in for the day. You'd showcase their latest and greatest product, whether it be for Mercedes-Benz or whoever, and uh, had a big contract with a company that were doing all of the new infinity stuff in the 90s when they established that uh, franchise and that was really kind of a door opener it, it, it unfortunately took me out of the house a lot I was on the road constantly because it meant x times x, x times the daily rate the more you did the better you were right. in terms of your income but it really sort of like meant that you're on the road all the time and um, from that I started to transition into doing some driver coaching and it was really a moment in 1996 when I was coaching up in Canada at a track called Canadian Tire Motorsports Park as it's known now it used to be known as Most Sport great racetrack that was where I got a really a, a great opportunity to jump into the TV industry and uh, grab it with both hands so it was really just a question of recognizing that you had to give up on your dream a little bit because you've been through the ringer twice and you realized at that stage of your life, I was now in my mid-30s, that a third go-around was going to kind of leave me stranded if I invested that uh, another period of time like that. Right. And so I made a, made a very sharp turn to stay in the industry but in other avenues. And uh, fortunately, I did, and it's created a great opportunity since. Oh, absolutely. You know, I think uh, these days they call that a great pivot. If you will. But, right. uh, you know, it's a lot of times it's uh, recognizing those opportunities in the roadway. And some people don't. And they keep going down a road or they keep digging a hole and it keeps getting deeper and deeper and deeper. And all of a sudden they go, I can't get out of this thing. I, I've, I've stayed in this hole for too long. So I think it's great that you've done that. And obviously what you're doing with uh, your commentating and then this new business where you're helping young drivers with speed mates is absolutely brilliant. So you, you kind of combine all those pieces of the puzzle from your past in a one nice picture if you will, the way I see it, to what you're doing today. So bravo to you for that. Very nice. Let's shift gears and go to the other end of the spectrum. I'd love for you to share what I call a career aha moment. Sounds like you've had a couple of those aha <laughs> moments along the way. Tell us about that time and how you made that a success. Well, I think we're at, to pick up where I just left off at, at that racetrack in 1996, I was coaching a gentleman called Don Bagoon who owned uh, Performance Friction uh, Brake Corporation. He unfortunately passed away um, about 18 months ago in a car accident in Italy, but was a very good friend of mine. He used to race kind of as, as a hobby, but he's very serious about it, and he employed me as his driver coach, and I was up at this racetrack and uh, bumped into Derek Daly, um, who was doing some work for... Uh, Speed Vision, they were just establishing themselves as a motorsports network. And uh, Derek uh, came across and he said, Calvin, I've got to do this race this afternoon, this Formula 4 2000 race. And he said, I literally know no one in the field in terms of the drivers. So he's with another guy who's standing with him, Jeff Hallis, who worked for Speed Vision. And uh, we just went through the grid sheet. I was actually coaching Don in the same race. So I knew kind of the players in the game and went through it with him and gave him a little brief on each person and uh, what they were all about. And Jeff was standing there and he said, um, have you ever done any television? I said, well, I did a little bit, kind of dabbled at it, did some guest appearances back in uh, the early 90s 
Uh, Jim McCallion, who runs the Long Beach Grand Prix, he had a production company with he and Chris Pook at the time. And uh, they were covering the Formula Atlantic Championship and Sports 2000 Championship. And uh, I used to actually drive for Vicky O'Connor, who used to run those two championships, and she had introduced me to Jim. I'd done a few events, but I never really looked at it as an opportunity as a career back then. But suddenly, five years on, I needed a gig. And uh, when Jeff said, would you like to do it? I just like said, yes, absolutely. So give me a call next week. He gave, I gave him a call. This was kind of in May, I think. And uh, the Watkins Glen six-hour race was coming up. And he was kind enough to put me on the team. And uh, I realized that this was really a golden opportunity for me with a network which is just establishing itself. It went really well. And uh, the event was great. Jeff was actually pit producing. I was working down in pit lane. And uh, he was pit producing. And... Um, I just felt like he was a god, literally, because it just felt like during the race, as a six-hour event, he was producing me and directing me in terms of, okay, we'll move on down to the Dyson team or whatever. They're going to be pitting in like six laps. And I'm like, how does this guy know all of this stuff? Yeah. I was just learning, doing endurance racing. And we just uh, we just clicked. Uh, he became my boss for a, for a few years, and he gave me another half a dozen races that year. And that transitioned into multi-race agreements. And um, last year, I celebrated 20 years uh, with the same network. So um, it was just recognizing that moment and uh, fortunate enough to be working with very good people who helped me along, uh, helped coach me a little bit. Even though I will say with uh, TV broadcasting, it's, it's really a question of sink or swim. You don't get a lot of tutoring or uh, education on it. It's kind of you get thrown in at the deep end and if, uh, if you can handle it and uh, you can push out a good product, then uh, you're in and it's a very small, small uh, niche business. And um, fortunately, it went well and uh, just established some great relationships with everyone there at, at Speed and now Fox, of course. Well, geez, 20 years. So obviously you're doing something right because they wouldn't have kept you around so long. Maybe just for your good looks. Obviously, <laughs> obviously you're doing something right. So uh, absolutely fantastic. That's great. And it's funny how these opportunities open the doorways for us sometimes. And if you're prepared and you can see them and you take a chance to uh, kind of quote Sir Richard Branson, uh, when you see an opportunity, take it. Figure out how to do it later, you know? Right. <laughs> so step in there. Well, I would assume you've had many proud moments along the way, but is there one in particular that stands out that you'd share with us? Well, I think certainly um, in racing, there's been some great races uh, over the years. Um, I think the year when I raced against Senna heads up in 1982, there was a there was a great race at Brands Hatch where we went heads up and I was able to beat him. I mean, to put it in perspective, in 1982, uh, we probably raced 25 events that year in the same event. And uh, I finished in the top two 19 times, but only won four races. So the other 15 times, I finished behind him. So every every victory was was a special one, even though at the time we obviously didn't realize uh, quite how good he was. But uh, there's some great races that I won against him, which is certainly very special. But I think in terms of the broadcasting career, I think it was Probably 2003, you know, seen the opportunity from like 96 on. And uh, there's some really good quality people in the industry. Gary Gerald was a guy that I really looked up to in terms of, I felt just was the ultimate pro in terms of uh, the industry and his craft. I thought, well, one day, hopefully I'll do IndyCar or Champ Car. And in 2003, I got the opportunity. 
and uh, managed to find myself in a position where I was really working on all of the major road racing series at the same time. There were two sports car championships at the same time then, uh, the American Le Mans series, which had established itself at 1999-2000 through Don Panos, who's been on your show, of course. And uh, there was the IMSA side. I think it was the US USRC. It was uh, kind of coded back then, but there was a sports car on the other side of the fence. There was the Atlantic Championship. There was Trans Am. And I was doing them all. So it was really... You were juggling a lot of balls at the same time, but um, I was just really proud of the fact that I looked up to someone in the industry and I was able to assume a position that he once had and at the same time was, uh, you know, working for all of the different series at the same time and was kind of the go-to guy for the pit lane. And uh, that, that made me proud. It made it busy on certain weekends and sometimes you'd be doing two events at different locations on the same weekend, but everyone allowed me to juggle schedules and um, that was a pretty cool moment to be doing all of those things at once. Wow. Holy cow. Yeah. Lots of busy, fun things. So, uh, and to go head to head with Senna. Oh my gosh. What a wonderful opportunity and experience. Uh, must have been absolutely fantastic. And then not knowing what was to come, of course. Um, right. you don't really know that because you can't see that. But is there one thing I'll just ask you real quick? This is kind of off the normal flow of questions though, but is there one thing about racing with Senna that really stood out for you? One thing about the man that you remember? Well, is. His feel for the grip was just amazing. I mean, we found, I mean, particularly in 1982, 83, he had a much stronger year than I did. We struggled a bit in Formula 3. But in 1982, we, we could we could qualify on the front row all at the same time, within a tenth or two of one another. We'd get faster slap, trade, or, or be a tenth off or whatever. But when he was so good, particularly in Europe when the weather conditions typically were cold, they're very short races. The first couple of laps from the start on cold tires, he was just phenomenal. Just his, his car control, his natural feel for grip. His confidence level in terms of taking the car beyond what it wanted to do, having the ability to get out of a situation. And uh, it was throughout the course of that year that I realized if I was going to beat him, I, I had to uh, push my comfort zone a little bit. You know, I'd want to build up to speed and to get there. But he was just bang. He was on it immediately. And uh, just he, he'd do you on the first lap and he'd, he'd get, you know, eight, nine tenths in front and that would sit there and he could control it. And you could run identical lap times, but it already created the gap. And the, the races in Formula Ford and Formula Ford 2000 were typically 12 or 15 laps so they're over before you know it so the starts were so so important and um you know he'd win races that he had no right to win even on a day when you had him beat he'd somehow figure a way to come back at you through traffic his ability to read ahead look at traffic analyze back markers and uh put quite i saw him put a qualifying lap together at hockenheim you just go out into the forest there there were three long straightaways segmented through chicanes and I just saw him pick a draft on every uh, every straightaway and get back online for each chicane so he was never slow and picked up a draft on every one and I'd be fumbling over the traffic in the chicane, hurting my exit speed and you just watch him just like it was just magic and uh, it wasn't luck. He just had an unbelievable canny ability to uh, feel the traffic as well as feel a race car and uh, he was just awfully tough to beat. But having said that, on our day, we could compete with him and uh, – we really beat him, but we did beat him now and again, which is kind of cool. Well, thanks for sharing that. Very, very cool story. Wow. Well, let's go back in time and have a little bit of fun here. What was your first really special car? Maybe you could share a memory you have with that vehicle. And maybe it's the first really special race car you raced. Yeah, um, I saw the question, and I really think 
a special vehicle. It wasn't a car. It was actually uh, the van that we used to transport my car to, which was also became my personal vehicle in between races. It was this uh, Ford Transit van. And um, we put a V6 engine in it, which meant you had to take the flat grill off and put this diesel front on it to fit the V6 in there. And this thing was an absolute flying machine. It was uh, it was really quick. We had this low rear end gear ratio in it, so the thing would literally spin the tires in the first three gears. No exaggeration. It would only with the low with the um, uh, the, the lower rear end gear ratio, it would uh, it would only do about 80 miles an hour flat out. But uh, the thing was just a rocket ship. Unfortunately, I had my name plastered all over it with our sponsors and our, our racing team now. So uh, names. So my mum used to get these reports on a regular basis of people <laughs> saying how I used to be overtaking them on blind corners and doing all sorts of risky stuff that you did as a, as a young kid. But um, that was really a, a special vehicle. And uh, I remember we went up to Cadwell Park, which was a a track in Lincolnshire, I think it was about two and a half hour drive, as I recall, through some twisty uh, country roads to get there. And uh, right as we were getting to the track that day, we um, uh, we lost a fan bell or something. That I can't recall exactly what was wrong with it, but basically the engine was, was toast. And uh, I had to be towed home. And um, we had this really nice family used to come with us. There's this young guy, uh, Mick, and uh, his son. Fred and Fred used to help me get the car ready during the week and Mick was kind of worked on the car dealership front alongside my dad separate business but on the same uh, premises and uh, Mick was just a great guy and so it was the end of a long day and anyway we had to somehow get this transit van home Mick was in another car and the only thing that we had could round up in the paddock was a, a tow rope which was about four feet long so it was literally like I was in the back of his car as we towed this thing home and he he was a lunatic on the road as well and uh, we basically got this van home being towed on a four-feet piece of rope within about 15 to 20 minutes of our fastest time ever driving non-towed uh, back home. And he was going through these corners like about 70 miles an hour. And I'm just uh, – it became a great game. It was, it was just one of those challenges in life. And uh, my dad fell asleep. He was up, up front in the car in the passenger seat with Nick. And uh, my dad woke up, and it was like the head. It was dark time. We got home. The headlights were like in the back seat of the car that I was driving. He couldn't believe the speeds we were hauling through. So uh, <laughs> just a just a fun time in a in a vehicle that was pretty special. That was kind of my get to the racetrack vehicle and uh, get me where I needed to go during the week as well. Oh my gosh, I can't even imagine what that drive must have been like. Yeah, oh pretty- man, using all your braking skills for sure, <laughs> not to run over the back of. That car. So, uh, well, you're the first, uh, first one whose special car was a van. So, but sounds like it was pretty cool. So I'll let you pass with that one. How about seller's remorse? Is there a car you've owned that you really wish you had back in the garage? And uh, nothing that I've personally owned as and actually purchased this purchased it with my own bucks. But um, my dad, as I mentioned, was in the used car business and uh, he used to uh, trade in a few exotic cars as well. He had some Ferraris during the early years and uh, Lamborghinis and stuff like that. And right when we were transitioning, uh, when my racing was kind of struggling in 83, 84, he owned a 1971 Ferrari Daytona, which was a very special car. And um, he actually did a road test with it for an automobile magazine with a good school friend of mine who's a really great journalist over in, in the UK called Philip Bingham. So they did this road test with it. And uh, it was a special car to us. And uh, things were tough. Uh, Dad's business was struggling a lot, and that was really the main asset that he had left. And uh, he sold it. Uh, this would have been 
end of 83, early 84, and I remembered that he couldn't get £20,000 for this car. I think he sold it for about £19,000, and I'm not sure exactly where the Ferrari Daytona market is, but it went over a million, and uh, I'm sure it's probably 750 grand or something like that even today. So, yeah, I mean, with life, there's always things you wish you could change or have back, but I'd say of the cars that the family is owned, uh, that's probably the one that we shouldn't have let get away, uh, certainly not at that price, but... Uh, there you go. Yeah. Money and had to move on. Well, you know, absolutely, and you never know what the future is going to bring. And you know, you hear I hear these stories because I ask the question of every guest. So you're the 720th time I've heard this <laughs> sad story. There's a few people who said, "No, nah, I don't have anything. I've let go." But I've got it myself. You never know. But uh, you know, I say at least you got to spend some time with that vehicle. And the Daytona, of course, is iconic, classic car. Yeah. So uh, we'll just move on from that one here. So, well, I would love for you to share a little bit more about what you're doing today with Speedmates. Let our uh, listeners know a little bit about some of the drivers you're working with, what you do for these drivers, how you help them along, because racing is a tough profession. I've I've had dozens of racers on the show, and there's all sorts of challenges that racers have, especially nowadays. You used to just be, you go drive the car and lead. Now there's all this other elements of marketing and promotion and all your sponsors and so forth. So how's Speedmates going, and why does it have you excited and fired up today? Well, it's... Um it's an area of the business, you know, I just think because of the background that I've had, you know, coming up through the ranks in terms of trying to become a race car driver, being a race car driver for a while, then switching over to the media side. I think I've had a pretty good uh, schooling in the business and um, obviously established a lot of friends in the paddock just through the network of doing my work for television and uh, I've been asked quite a few times uh, to do driver management, a couple of the bigger names. One was Dan Weldon, you know, when he was racing in the former Atlantic um, Indy Lights Championship. Um, he asked me to work with him, and I just I just knew at the time that the dedication uh, and time necessary, I wasn't in a position to give him. And a couple of other big names asked me way back then. So it always been at the back of my mind that there might be a time and a place to be able to do this. And uh, then Joey Hand asked me um, back in 2010, uh, he was a, a bit of a crossroads with his career, kind of, I could see kind of a similar scenario to where I had been a couple of times in terms of he wasn't sure how things were working out. He fortunately got an opportunity with BMW and he just said, you know, I, I really need some help. He said, I, I feel I'm good enough. I feel that there's some opportunities out there. I just need someone who's going to help me on the business side and give me some direction and uh, allow me to make the right calls uh, to further my career. So I thought about it long and hard and uh, said, okay, well, I think this is a time when I do have um, – the time allowance to dedicate to Joey uh, and give him um, the necessary resources to do this. And uh, he immediately went out and had a huge year. Uh, he won the um, LMS GT Championship for BMW. He won the Rolex 24 with Chip uh, Ganassi overall. And um, it was kind of a just all the, the planets aligned that year for him. And it was just happened to be when I kind of got on board with him and uh, tried to point him in the right direction. So it kind of got me motivated, and uh, Joey and I continue to work together. He's now with Chip. He, he joined the Chip uh, three years ago uh, when we knew that this 4GT program was coming online. Uh, Joey made the step a year before I actually came on board last year. So he drove in Chip's prototype car in 2015. 
And then obviously uh, won Le Mans last year. He just started the year uh, this year with a win at Daytona in the 24-hour race there. So two huge wins for the only full-time uh, American driver on the Ford squad. So certainly been very rewarding to watch Joey uh, meet all of the challenges and have a lot of success uh, with his racing program. And um, I think through that, you know, there's the word gets around. I've never really solicited the business at all. I mean, the, the website that I shared with you is really not one that I do to try and attract drivers. It's really just a resource for teams to look at the driver's bios, just see a little bit of background about yourself. If they don't, if you're talking to a team for the first time who don't know you, don't know much about racing in the States. So it's just really a resource for them to see a little bit about your background and obviously the bios of the drivers. Um, but, um, you know, I really, you know, the friendship and working with guys that you really get along with is super important. The chemistry side of it, obviously, you want guys who are quick. It's a lot easier to represent guys who are winners. And, um, you know, a lot of the boys have had a lot of success. Dane Cameron's uh, certainly had a lot of success last couple of years, winning a couple of championships, including the uh, IMSA WeatherTech Championship last year in the prototype ranks. So good boys. And uh, it's a lot of work. I mean, some days are easy and then other days uh yeah, it's tough. I mean, this business can be very difficult at times and uh, you can hit those stumbling blocks in a driver's career just as I did. And uh, they're the tough times. That's where I think it's good for a driver to have a little bit of help to try and push through that and keep knocking on doors and uh, find some new opportunities. And that's really what the goal is, is to really um, preempt some of these scenarios in terms of foreseeing where a driver's going with a team or with a manufacturer, jumping ahead to a new opportunity and uh not letting them just slip through the net and disappear like I did. Absolutely. Yeah, it's always great when you have somebody else with a different perspective to help you, and even better if you have the wherewithal to ask for that help and not just flounder. So fantastic. Well, I wish you and your drivers all the best of luck this uh, coming year. If you were a car, this is kind of an introspective question, but if you were a car, Calvin, what kind of car would you be and why? Well, I, th- uh, I think – Ideally, I'd love to be like a Alfa Romeo or a Ferrari or something that just kind of <laughs> brings all those uh, sort of passionate thoughts of, uh, of cars. But I think in terms of how I go about my business and uh, how I try and discipline myself to um, try and succeed, I'd probably say I'm more German than anything, even though, um, you know, I haven't really spent much time in Germany other than to a few races. But just reliable, I think, try and be efficient and um you know, give performance day in and day out and, um, you know, something that won't let you down. Do you know what I mean? Just um, uh, as my dad likes to, to say, it does what it says on the tin. Do you know what I mean? In terms of whatever the description is, uh, when you pull out, it's going to perform and do just that task. So that's what I try and bring to the table for the drivers and certainly with the uh, broadcast partners that I have and the series that I represent, just really try and represent them to the best of my abilities and not let them down. So maybe we'll call you like one of those workhorse Mercedes taxis in Germany that just keep on plugging along the diesel cars, you know? Diesel, yeah, you got it. There we go. (laughs) Very nice. (laughs) Well, Kevin, up next is the last lap, but before we put the pedal to the metal, let's say thank you to today's Cars Yeah sponsors. Do you know the best way to protect your vehicle, both the exterior and the interior, is with a car cover. I've been using Covercraft car covers since 1975. That's right, 1975. It's a fast, easy, and inexpensive way to keep your vehicle looking new. Covercraft has been manufacturing premium quality exterior and interior covers for over 50 years with a stellar reputation for durability and design. They're the world's largest manufacturer of custom-patterned vehicle covers that are crafted to fit over 80,000 patterns and growing. 
They are the only cover I'll put on my vehicles. You can choose from a wide variety of fabrics, styles, colors, and more. From full cover designs for factory to custom-made vehicles, plus convertible top covers, trucks, truck cab coolers, motorcycles, scooters, ATVs, trailers, campers, personal watercraft, and a wide variety of custom features. Covercraft is the right choice. Learn more today at Covercraft.com and tell them Mark sent you. That's Covercraft.com. If you own collector cars and still have a little bit of money left over, congratulations. You're ahead of most people, but what should you do with the money you don't spend on cars? Talk to Chris Kimball, Certified Financial Planner Practitioner. For over 20 years, he's been helping people just like you and me with their financial planning and investments. And he's a car guy, too. Call 253-722-PLAN. Or you can view his website at www.chrisvkimble.com. Make sure your investments are running on all eight cylinders, or 12, or 16. Securities through Money Concepts Capital Corp. Member, Finra Sipic. Are you looking for a way to get your products or services into the ears of thousands of automotive enthusiasts around the globe? I can help. This is Mark Green here at Cars Yeah, and I'd be honored to be an influencer and ambassador for your brand in a unique and personal way. Five days a week, thousands of subscribers and listeners enjoy the Cars Yeah podcast and website. Contact me today and I'll show you how at mark at com or connect with me through the Cars Yeah website at com. Okay, Calvin, we are back and we're entering the last lap. You know what this means? The white flag's out. Time to put our foot into it. And I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give us some very quick blips of the throttle answers. So here we go. What's the best automotive advice you've ever received? Well, I think when I've blown a few engines up in in my time on the racetrack, when the thing's slowing down on the straightaway, grabbing a lower gear and trying to see if it'll go any quicker is normally not. (laughs) No. Didn't. Didn't work very often, and I've, I've had a couple of engine builders say, "Mate, when, when I was when I was doing that, it, it's time to like uh, pull the pin and uh, shut it down." But uh, with any with any racer, you want to try and get it home. And uh, I remember once we were racing at Zandvoort in Holland, and my dad used to bring along uh, a local businessman who was very instrumental, actually, and uh, probably got me in the early days to the point where I was able to continue my career with his support. Uh, Mickey Clapham was the guy and he owned a, a foam product business. So imagine the foam that's in your seat yep. or in the cushion uh, uh, of your car. He had a, a business that used to be um, in Norwich, my hometown, and he's very successful at it and sold foam on the markets. And it's amazing the different applications that people would uh, use foam in. So he had a good little business. He used to race two race carts and he used to support me and uh, he used to love it. He used to be there on the side of the track and I'll never forget once uh, he was holding the pit board out at Zandvoort would come down the front straightaway as a qualifying lap and the engine started to go horribly wrong but I kept the foot in it because it was a good lap and I had to get across the line to get qualifying time in and literally as I drove by him the engine exploded and it spit the conrod and it literally landed ironically right underneath within a couple of feet of where he was holding the pit board <laughs> and it was going to be his task to find the money to pay to rebuild the engine but he thought that was the greatest thing that I kept my foot in it and uh, it literally spit the Conrad right out the side of the block and uh, landed at his feet on the side of the racetrack. So on that occasion, it did work. We did get qualifying time, but typically it didn't. If we're starting to bind up and slow down, you better recognize that and don't keep going. 
Yeah, I raced vintage cars for a while, and one of the cars I ran was a Lotus 18 Formula Junior. And I was at Sears Point, and the car, you know, made some funny sounds and quit. I got towed in, and the guy helping me, he was a past guest here on Cars, yeah, Louis Shefshik. He's a fabricator, and he does uh, vintage car restoration and trackside services. He opened up the back of that, you know, opened up like a clamshell, and I said, hey, Louis, what's wrong with the car? And he said, you ventilated the engine. <laughs> and I said, is that bad? And he said, yeah, that's real bad. <laughs> so talk about blowing a hole in the side of an engine. Oh, that was an expensive weekend for sure. Now, would you share one of your personal habits you believe has helped contribute to your success over the years? Well, I think as we've kind of touched on already during the course of the chat here, Mark, I think it's uh, don't mail it in. Just always do your homework, be prepared. You know, when we're at the racetrack, it, it would be easy just to sit back and wait for the race start and they turn on the cameras and you can sit there and, and call a race. You've done it enough times that you could just do it that way. But I think um, if you really care about it and you want to bring a bit more to the table and you have to do your research, you have to do your networking, you have to pound the pavement, get around, talk to the teams and um, I think if you take that same philosophy to anything in life, if you, if you just go the extra yard, it'll typically reward you at the end of the day. Be a good journalist. Be prepared for sure. How about a resource? There's a lot of great resources, but is there one in particular that you really enjoy? I think just the people. I mean, obviously, the Internet is a great tool. I mean, some of the races that we do now, particularly with the IMSA broadcasts, we're no longer on site. So it's taken away that network ability during the course of the weekend to walk around the paddock and walk into the awnings and walk into the transporters and uh, talk directly to the teams. But fortunately, I'm able to utilize a lot of the resources I have with the connections, whether it's directly with some of the drivers I'm working with or certainly a lot of friends and team uh, personnel over the years is uh, th that's where you get the real information from. So for my business, information is key. I mean, there's so many fans now who are so dedicated and will read a lot of the same press releases and internet stories on some of the uh, sports car racing websites that you do. So you have to be a step better than that. There's nothing wrong with that, but you need the inside information. So it's really down to people at the end of the day and having um, you know the network and being able to uh, tap into that to bring a little bit more to the table. Well, speaking of people, if you could have a drink with anybody in the automotive field, living or deceased, who would that be? Well, um, you know, we talked about Senna, um, such a tragedy that we lost him so young in his life. Uh, so I'd love to have a chance to have, have a chat. We, we became a bit sort of uh, arch rivals there for a spell. So unfortunately, I, I lost track of him when he moved on to Formula One. I wasn't around that paddock very often. Certainly uh, would love to have seen him complete his career and be in retirement and being able to uh, catch up with him at this stage. Uh, but obviously that's not possible. And uh, Gilles Villeneuve was another amazing driver who I really idolized when I was a young kid. So like when I was initially getting into racing was when he was kind of at the forefront. And uh, I don't really see myself modeling myself or my driving style on him, but that doesn't diminish the you know, how fond I was of him at the time, even not knowing him, and uh, would love to have the opportunity to, to have met him. Jules and Ayrton, a drink with both of those two would be quite a wonderful evening, wouldn't it? Wow. Yeah. Cool. Very special. Now, how about a book? Is there a book you've read that you think the Car Show listeners would enjoy reading? Yeah, there is, actually. It's a racing book. It's a good friend of mine, Tommy Byrne, an Irish fella. They just did a documentary that got released uh, over in Europe just in the last two or three months. We actually, Tommy came to the house for New Year's Eve, and um, he brought a DVD copy, and we had some good friends over and watched it here. The precursor to the documentary was his book. It was done by Mark Hughes, who's an excellent automotive and racing journalist over in the States. It's called Crashed and Burned. 
um, playing off uh, Tommy's last name. It's a great book. It's a sad story in some ways because Tommy was literally brilliant. He was one of those special few who had that. He was a difference maker. He was like a center. He was like a Villeneuve. He, he was that good. And, um, you know, Tommy made it to Formula One briefly and then dropped out, but he made it on sheer talent, never really had a nickel to his name. And it's an amazing story. And uh, uh, either pick up the book or now you can actually uh, see the uh, documentary. It's, it's about to be released here in the States as well. And it'll be on DVD within two or three months, I think. So Crashed and Burned. Yeah. Tommy Burned and uh, Mark Hughes. It's a good read. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Tommy was a guest here on the show. I had the pleasure of talking with him. He sent me a copy of the book and signed it, which was very special for me. Yeah, it's quite an amazing story. And you kind of think, what if, you know, if he held his life together and could move forward in that career where he would have been in the iconic uh, stages or halls of F1 drivers? Because, oh, my gosh, that guy had a talent that was just beyond, 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 beyond. So Yeah, I was there the day when um – he tested the McLaren at Silverstone. Uh, I was testing, I think, down at Thruxton. It was the year I was doing Formula 3 and uh, came up and knew that Tommy was going to be testing that day. And uh, just amazing, I mean, to watch him pedal that thing around Silverstone. And there's there's different folklore in terms of the stories of what times he did and that he wasn't given full throttle because Ron Dennis at the time, Tommy didn't really fit into the mold of the professional race car driver that Ron really um, – could see driving for him so he knew he had to give Tommy the opportunity because he'd won the opportunity but I don't think he really wanted him to, to succeed on the day and despite that Tommy was just blisteringly fast so um, it, it was very cool to see that and it was great to see that in terms of the documentary that they were able to uh, find some footage and, and, and show a little bit of that. I can't imagine two people at opposite ends of the spectrum of, of Ron and Tommy. I mean, my gosh. Yeah. They, at a party, I don't think you see them at a party together. They'd be at opposite ends of the room. That's for sure. So, uh, oh my goodness. Well, listeners, you can find links to all these great resources that Calvin has shared on his show notes page at carsyacom slash Calvin Fish. And if you want to go back and listen to that interview I had with Tommy Byrne, that is on the Cars Out website as well. Just type Tommy in the search bar and you'll find that. All right, we're up to the checkered flag. You know what that means. And this last question can be a bit of a doozy. I'm going to buy you any cool collector car or vintage race car in the world that you'd like to have today, Calvin. Doesn't matter what it is. I'm going to get out the big, the big trophy checkbook, if you will, the big golfer's checkbook with a lot of zeros on the end of it. What would that car be? And more importantly, why? That's a tough one. I mean, there's so many great supercars out there now, including the new Ford GT and the like. So there's all of the new stuff. But I think in terms of uh, childhood memories, I mean, as I mentioned, my dad was around the, the, the car for a long time and he used to bring home special cars. And I think the first really special car that he brought home was uh, uh, an E-Type Jaguar. And uh, it's such a classic design, kind of an iconic look. And um he owned a couple of them. One, he hit a coal truck in. Some coal truck pulled right out in front of him and wiped off the front end of that. And I remember uh, him taking me on a journey up to Coventry to the Jaguar factory and uh, with a flatbed trailer, we had to buy a new bonnet. But the bonnet on those things was about six feet long, I think. So um, just a special car. I think they started production right around the time I was born, around 61, I think might have been the first uh, model year of that. So um, if I get a garage that's big enough and I got a spare car slot, and I have a few extra bucks. I'm not even sure, to be honest with you, uh, what sort of money they make for a nice one these days. But um, still love the look, uh, particularly the Mark One. I. I think it's a, it's a really cool car. And uh, 
that would that would be a wonderful vehicle to own and uh, bring back memories of my early uh, initial years uh, discovering special vehicles. Yeah, it seems the last week or so I've had a couple guests pick the Jaguar E-Type as their car of choice. And my regular listeners know that the first Matchbox my father ever bought me, the old Matchbox by Lesney that mm-hmm. you could get, uh, was a Jaguar E-Type Coupe, a red one. Still have it. Sitting right here. Those are really, really beautiful cars. They're absolutely fantastic. So, and the Series 1, of course, is the one to have. I think, you know, you can get those now. They're they're well over $100,000 now. Probably oh, way higher than that even. So, uh, but that's okay. I'm bu- I used to have a, I don't know why we called it when I was a kid. It used to be called Cushy Night, and I don't know why. But on a Thursday night, my dad on the way home from work used to buy a stop at the um, news agents and buy a bag of, chocolate or candies or whatever and a matchbox toy so that was my thursday night uh, that i used to look forward to every week and um i was like all the other kids at the time the matchbox toys were the the real deal so yeah absolutely fantastic well be happy to find you one of those what color would you like <laughs> uh my dad had a blue one yeah sort of an indigo dark dark navy blue yeah. but i think i think i think it's one of those cars that look i mean i could see a light metallic blue or silver i mean red i mean i think i think it looks good in a number of colors do you know what i mean it's a pretty pretty cool vehicle yeah they're beautiful cars well calvin you've taken me on an awesome ride around the track today i knew you would and i really enjoyed your stories and i want to thank you for sharing your automotive journey with me and the Cars Yow listeners. Could you offer us one parting piece of wisdom and guidance before you rip off down the roadway in that Jaguar E-Type? <laughs> I think just um, I've been fortunate that my work is a passion. And I think not everyone has that opportunity or that option. But I think if you're doing something in life which you're really not happy with, sometimes you have to take a bit of a gamble, a bit of a risk to find that true passion because then it makes work a, a lot easier it, it's not a grind it's uh you sure you get tired with travel i mean anyone who travels a lot realizes it's not the, the, the most fun thing to be doing but it's a necessary evil to be going to some very fun places but you know just find something that you're really passionate about and i think if you do that you're going to give a million percent and um it's a fun way to go through your life working every day in an industry that you really really enjoy yep that is the secret sauce to life and what's the best way for our listeners to learn more about you, what you're doing, and Speedmates? Well, uh, we're busy uh, with the TV this year. Um, if you go to uh, IMSA.com, we've got some great uh, races, some great venues um, that we'll be going to this year. Uh, Twelve events on the schedule. We've had Daytona already. Sebring's coming up. I'm actually heading down to Sebring this week for a big two-day test down there in preparation for that. Uh, so hit emsa.com and you'll see the TV schedule. And uh, we're going to be busy this year for sure. And uh, Brawley World Challenge, uh, that kicks off at St. Petersburg. So I'm going to be on board with that again alongside Greg Creamer, who I share the booth with for both series. And uh, probably be doing World Endurance Championship again. I hosted those events for Fox last year and um, not 100% committed to that at this point in time. But there's a good chance I'll be on certainly on for Le Mans and probably for the rest of those. So uh, if you're into racing... Look for the sports car categories, and uh, you'll probably hear my voice. Absolutely. And obviously, too, you have a Speedmates website as well, right? Yeah, speedmatesdrivers.com. And uh, as I mentioned, it's really uh, just more of a resource for for the teams if they need to check out one of the drivers that I'm working with. But, um, yeah, for sure, if uh, anyone's interested, take a look and uh, see some of the cool drivers that uh, I'm fortunate enough to be working with. Absolutely. Well, again, listeners, you can find links to everything Calvin has shared 
at the Cars Yeah website, carsyeah.com slash Calvin Fish. Uh, just type Calvin. He's the only Calvin who's been a guest here on Cars Yeah, so it'll be easy to find his show notes page with links. Uh, make sure you follow him on the racing this year. Does a fantastic job with all of his colleagues there at Fox, a fantastic organization. Calvin, thanks for being so generous today with your time and your expertise and for sharing your automotive experiences with me and the Cars Yeah listeners. Until we talk again, I'll see you down the road. Thanks so much, man. I really enjoyed the day. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah.